Hey, did somebody call for backup? What's up, prodigies, and welcome back to Call for Backup, a prodigal son podcast from Nerds and Beyond. Grab some pancakes and syrup and join us as we discuss season two, episode 13 of Prodigal Son. If you're not caught up, this is your big spoiler warning. Come join us when you've watched all of season one now available on HBO Max and all the latest episodes of season two on Fox Now and Hulu. As many of you know, I'm Kaylee and I'm a staff writer at Nerds. You can find me on social media at Kaylee Gross. For this episode, I am joined by Kennedy Brianna and my co-host Jules. So thanks for being here this week. Kennedy is providing a quick recap of the episode. Jules will be leading the discussion of our favorite noteworthy moments and helping to discuss our theories. And of course, we'll have our weekly Malcolm Danger count led by myself and Jules. But don't worry, I'll end the episode with a nice dose of reflection for the week ahead with a motivational affirmation or quote. Before we begin, I'll let the other staff members introduce themselves and explain what they do for nerds. I'm Brianna, an editor, and you can find me on Twitter at bookbag09. Hey guys, uh, I'm Kennedy. Um, I'm an editor and writer at Nerds and Beyond, and you can find me over on Twitter at Kennedy Lynch. And I'm Jules. I am an editor, writer, and content assistant, and you can find me on Twitter at Jules Writes Blog. This week on Prodigal Son, follow Martin and Malcolm. I mean, Claire and Cameron, as they evade capture while trying to bag serial killer of their own, the Woodsman. Major Crimes frantically continues to search for the Whitley men and clear Malcolm's name that's been besmirched by Capshaw's lies. Simultaneously, Malcolm struggles with balancing the need to turn Martin in and the need to solve his case. This season finale is stuffed chock full of action, with team-ups, lies, shutdowns, and betrayals all crammed into a one-hour episode. Luckily, we're here to break it all down for you. For more in-depth look of what went down in the last weekend, make sure to check out our recap for the episode at nerdsandbeyond.com. Now, on to our discussion. All right, prodigies. For the last time this season, this season, this season, uh, we are going to go over some of the moments from the episode that we wanted to talk about. Obviously, there's so many um, because not only is this a season finale, but it's potentially a series finale. So they they jammed a lot in there into that 45 minutes. And then we're going to have some time at the end for us to just kind of talk over our theories, what we think, our thoughts on the show as a whole. So bear with us. This is going to be a bit of a probably a bit of an emotional roller coaster going into this last episode. So as usual, we're going to start small and kind of work our way up. Not that anything in this episode was small, really. I mean, every, everything was happening at once. But we wanted to start off with Capshaw versus Jessica, Ooh. the the confrontation of of a lifetime. <laughs> First of all, can we give big props to the stunt doubles for Bellamy Young and yeah. Captain Zeta Jones? killing it that was such a cool fight scene um what did you guys think while you were watching that scene unfold it's cool because i've taken krav maga for a time so like <laughs> like yeah woo like because it's all about like self-defense and for her to kind of stand her ground instead of like cowering like she almost like acted like she was cowering like oh please vivian don't hurt me and then she's like nah psych like i know krav maga let's go <laughs> so and like how Gil was like, I got here just in time, you know, for her sake, not yours. <laughs> I was so cute. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, but I thought it was, I thought it was amazing to like, to see two powerful women kind of go at it. It was just like, <laughs> like definitely, it was definitely a power struggle, but it was, I loved it. I thought it was great. I love that they had them each kind of playing at their own game. Like Capshaw mm-hmm. was there to kill Jessica, but we're going to have a whole meal first and drinks and everything else. But her end goal was to kill Jessica. 
Mm-hmm. And Jessica's whole point to the dinner was to get a confession out of her. And I really appreciated the way they kind of each had their own motive that we got to know about mm-hmm. towards the end. I mean, the fight scene was, it was amazing. The whole thing, I loved her throwing her across the dinner table. That was probably my favorite bit. <laughs> I appreciated that it was baby Ainsley's photo that got smashed across Jessica's head and almost <laughs> took her down. It's like she was almost Jessica's downfall. She wasn't even there. It was a whole dramatic thing. And I really loved it. And I do like at the end, Gil saying, I got here just in time for her sake. Because he knew better than to think Jessica was weak or going to need to be rescued. Yeah. I thought it was funny, too, how she's like, oh, like a little painkiller is not going to take me down. Like, you that know what line the family is? Breakfast oh in this household. <laughs> I just, I thought that was perfect. Because you could tell, and the camera, really quick, because it's about this scene. I knew you were going to talk about sorry, this. Sorry, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it was record, what was it, four minutes? Sorry, <laughs> guys. Listen, this is who I am. You just gotta <laughs> the camera angle was very cool. How it tilted, kind of like last episode, to portray the fact that she was feeling like sort of sideways. She was feeling lightheaded and dizzy and kind of not herself. But then when she's at the table, she's like, "No, nah, I'm good." Like you got that. Like that's all you have. Like wow. It just surprised me though because we didn't actually see her drink the um like the mark is it a margarita or a martini? i forget what they were martini. having it was a martini right mm-hmm. heck i don't remember um let's go with that <laughs> yeah we'll go with that i didn't actually see her drink it so i was surprised when she started to like like kind of um be like clumsy be clumsy around the room i was kind of surprised too when they didn't show it because i couldn't decide at first if i mean we know jessica is so smart I kind of thought she didn't drink it at first and yeah, she, she was too. just playing she was just at pretending. being drugged yeah. because she yeah. knew she had put something in her drink. Yeah. But then I think she really did drink it and just, it didn't she's feel Jessica Whitley. So it, you know, only kind of made her a little lightheaded. Little woozy. I think the funniest part about the whole scene was, okay, obviously it was kind of a hoot to watch them like throw each other over the I table. I know, like WWE. <laughs> <laughs> but... Jessica's whole like hey girl routine as Jules called it was absolutely killing me at the beginning because like obviously she knows that Capshaw was shady but she you could see her trying to like tamp down her anger she's like oh my goodness I'm about to like claw this girl and I mean she kind of <laughs> did at the end but it was a very interesting dynamic like you said to watch them both play at their respective games. But I think what the scene really shows is how good both Bellamy and Catherine Zeta-Jones are. I mean, just like watching them together, it was just like a masterclass and like acting. And I, I like we were talking about, I love, I love when Jessica puts on like the nice society girl routine in order to like manipulate somebody. And she's done it a few times and every time it kills me. And, and this time especially, because you know that both of them are simultaneously like sizing each other up and it was just, oh. It's such a great scene. It's such a great kind of, um, if this is a goodbye to Capshaw's character, I think it was a really well done goodbye. They've indicated in some interviews that she's willing to come back and that she might make an appearance if they ever do the season, the third season. Um, but it was it was a good final scene if, if they don't get her back for whatever reason. So the next part of the episode that we wanted to address, and I'm going to divide this into two distinct categories for a reason, because Brianna and I have had a season long battle about whether Ainsley can be redeemed or not. So I'm gonna put that to one side for a second, for just a moment, you'll, st- you'll still get your, your fighting. Post but we note. need to, s- <laughs> post a note, put, put a pin in that. Put a pin in it. We have to talk about the combination of JT 
Danny and Ainsley, just in general, because we haven't really seen that at all. Like we haven't seen the three of them working together. And it was an interesting dynamic, regardless of how you feel about Ainsley. I see your face, Brianna. It was an interesting <laughs> dynamic, no matter what you think. What did you guys think of them working together, kind of like parallel solving the case while Martin and Malcolm were solving it on their end? I thought it was interesting because Ainsley's not really involved in like more of the police aspect. Like she's just like reporting on the crimes, not really like involved in like the solving. I, th- I thought it was a a good dynamic, a unique dynamic, because Ainsley brought like the the reporter, and then I like kind of what you guys were arguing about, like how she was able to appeal to the sheriff, um, something that Danny and JT couldn't really do in that moment. And then JT being, you know, I'm a father, you know, like just we're just trying to help you oh, out, yeah, being like that. a very calm one. And then Danny's like, psych, <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'm gonna, you know, she was kind of like. The, the brawn it, the, yeah she was yeah. the brawn she yeah. was the yeah. brawn okay i just i liked it i thought it was different because it's kind of cool seeing a different whitley in the mix for the, the nypd so i thought i liked it i just thought it was really interesting to watch her work with the team because it kind of makes you think like that could have been her in another life you know it kind of brings up the thought like are are these similarities between you know her and malcolm i mean obviously they have the same drive I, I would say they have the same empathy, but that's that's in question right now. But we're not going to get into that. I found the post moment. <laughs> but I'm on the post note. We're not going there yet. <laughs> she knows what buttons to push. She she kind of has that insight into how people's minds work, and you it, it kind of makes you stop and think. Like, is that just kind of a Whitley trait, or you know, is that something that she learned watching her brother, watching her dad? Is that something that she picked up? You know working at the network I mean you kind of need to have interpersonal skills to you know interview all these people so I just thought it was really interesting to see her working with the team um it just kind of highlighted the similarities between the whole family good or bad may that be (laughs) I can see Brianna's itching she's itching 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 so I think we need to move into I need another timer for this (laughs) no I will, I will tell those of you listening at home that we had a good 15-minute argument about this before we got started recording, so we got <laughs> most of the angst out before <laughs> we got on the mic. <laughs> so it was all love here, though, but they're just It's all love passionate. here. It's just very strong opinions. <laughs> <laughs> passionate about the things, like, literally. Listen. So the, the, the debate that we were having, just to set the stage, the debate that we were having so that they know what the question is even being asked. She's going to frame it. She's going to frame it. I'm not going to frame this. Watch this. Is Ainsley on the way <laughs> to, are they writing her? Are they writing her? I'm not saying anything about her. Are they writing her a redemption arc or not? See, look at that. There was no bias in the way mm. that I presented that But the that problem question. was that is they can write the redemption arc Will we believe it is the question. Is she worthy of a redemption arc or has she already gone too far? Okay, why don't we give but Brianna before... first? Brianna didn't get to talk last time when I had my rant. So why don't we give Brianna- oh, I like, talked, a, it was like, just alone in my apartment. It was just alone in her apartment. <laughs> why don't we give you a minute to present your case why Ainsley is irredeemable. She cannot come back from, from this season. Before I do that, I want to address the actual question, which was the dynamic. And I want to say for Ainsley's part, this is how you know I can be bipartisan. (laughs) For Ainsley's part, it was good that she went to Danny and JT for help rather than trying to follow this facts up and go find Malcolm and Martin on her own. 
because she knew there was another killer in the mix. It wasn't just, I'm trying to find my family. It was my family's potentially hunting another serial killer. I should get some cops involved. So I'll give her that. She called for backup. Right. I was going to say, she called for backup. Learned something that her brother, unfortunately, did not. (laughs) But I think she had an ulterior motive because when that phone rang in the basement, she went hauling butt down them stairs thinking it was going to be Martin calling her for help. Like she, unlike Malcolm, was fully prepared to help her father escape prison and potentially run off with him the way Martin had it in his twisted mind that they were going to do. So I kind of think she was hoping maybe they would make some sort of escape once they found them. I don't know what her her idea was there, but I will say at least she did go find JT and Danny. And I did love seeing that dynamic happen. Now, to the question of, to the question of- <laughs> can she be redeemed? I think if they had started that redemption arc immediately after she killed Endicott, she could have been. But because she spent an entire 24 to 48 hours emotionally and mentally manipulating Malcolm into making him think that she killed yet again, knowing what it would do to him. And the whole point of it was to drive home the point of you can't manipulate me. You shouldn't have pretended like nothing happened. Like you can easily sit your, your family down and have a conversation and go, look, I remember these memories. I know you're lying to me. Tell me the truth. Like, that would have been so much more emotionally mature and better than this long-winded freaking Malcolm out. He was on the edge of a mental breakdown again. So my point is, I think whenever she did that to Malcolm, because we know how sensitive he is anyway, it went a little too far. And I do think, even though Malcolm says he's over it, I don't think he is. I think his family is his blind spot. And so he's willing to be like, oh no, she was just stressed. Oh no, it's fine and sort of brush it under the rug because he doesn't want Ainsley to be like Martin. See, look at that. I let you get through that whole bit and I didn't even <laughs> I didn't even say anything once. That's because you I, knew your minute was coming. No, absolutely. My minute is here and here's my counterpoint to that. So I just want for the record, that actual moment of her doing that to Malcolm is one of Ainsley's low points as a character. And I don't think there is really an excuse for doing that particular thing. So I'm not going to try to excuse that moment. I don't think you can. It was a really crappy thing to do to someone who loves you and somebody who is trying to help you. I do think a lot of this season, we've been seeing, we haven't seen a lot of what Ainsley's been doing. It's been a lot of like off screen stuff of like Ainsley's talking to Martin. Ainsley's doing this. Ainsley's doing that. We're not really like seeing it. I think she's been really lost as a person because for a while she genuinely didn't remember what happened. And so she was trying to piece together. What did I do? Then once she did, she had a horrible, horrible reaction and did a horrible thing and tried to convince Malcolm that she had killed again, which is a really bad thing to do. In that moment, she then goes to Martin, who was the last person you should be going to for any kind of emotional support. I think that there's a war inside of her the way that we always said that there was a war inside of Malcolm, where there's the father and the mother and which way is she going to go? I think in the last few episodes, we've been seeing that she's been scared she's going to turn into Martin, but she's kind of like preparing for that possibility. Like she's like asking Martin, what can I do? How do I be a real person? How do I have this empathy that I'm scared that I lack? You know? And then he's telling her, oh no, you're just like me. Like he's manipulating her the way he used to manipulate Malcolm. The difference being that Malcolm had more empathy and had more emotion and was a little bit more immune 
to that kind of manipulation because he was like, no, I'm not like you. I do feel things. I do feel for people. I want to help people. And she's scared that she doesn't. So when he's putting those ideas into her head, Kennedy is now raising her hand, wanting to get involved. <laughs> she's now thinking, is this who I am? I think that speech in this finale where she's talking and she's trying to convince this woman that she understands what it is to feel light and dark inside of her. I don't know that she's chosen a side, but I think it's a good sign that she realizes that there are sides to choose and that she has to pick a path. I see you both giving me skeptical looks through Zoom. I see it happening. But I, I think that I think that they could have been setting up a redemption arc for her. I think it would be possible. I do think in order for a redemption to happen, she would have to fully reckon with what she did to Malcolm. I think in order for them to move past that and for the show to move past that, there would have to be a longer conversation than just, oh, I'm really sorry I emotionally traumatized you. That's okay, sis. Like, I think it would have to be a longer outcome, but I do think it's possible. I'm not ready to give up on her. I'm not. All right, Kennedy, go ahead, jump into this. <laughs> See, okay, look, sometimes <laughs> I hear what you're saying and I'm like, okay, maybe, but the thing is, where you see her approaching Martin as an I'm lost, I'm confused, I'm afraid that this is what I'm going to turn into, I feel like she is already there and just embracing it at this point, especially, and it's just because of the little things that she has done throughout the season, the little snide comments that she's tried to play off as a joke, they don't feel like a joke a lot of the times that she says them. So, Like, I don't know, for example, when, you know, when Hoxley goes off after a not convincing ending to that arc, um, she's like getting away with murder and they're kind of like, Ainsley, that's not okay. And she's like, I'm just kidding. But I'm like, are you really? I, her actions for me, just, I don't interpret them as her being afraid that she lacks that empathy. I feel like she thinks that she is already there. And I don't think that it's Martin manipulating her into feeling that way. I think that that is already there within her. I just don't, I don't really, I mean, obviously Martin is like not the person you wanna go visit in this situation regardless, but I just don't think that it's her turning into this as a result of him. I don't think that she really possesses that basic empathy there at all. And I mean, obviously we've said like not everybody who was a psychopath turns into a murderer, but I just, with all the, all the little signs combined just makes me think that there's not going back for her at this point. I just, I'm not convinced. I would like to add on and back up Kennedy <laughs> in this episode where you were saying you, or Jules was saying she thought Ainsley was showing some empathy with talking to the sheriff and trying to get information on where the husband would have gone. I took that as very bad theatrics at trying to manipulate like she, I felt like she was taking these things that Martin had taught her on how to manipulate others and putting it into practice because she takes that picture down and puts it right in front of the sheriff's seat that way while she's giving this pretty little speech about light and dark she has to look at that picture of her daughters and then she shifts that emotional weight onto the sheriff to get what she needs and it was very I felt like her delivery was very cold Maybe that's because I already see Ainsley as being fairly dark. Malcolm's delivery of everything always feels very from the heart and emotional, and it didn't feel that way with Ainsley for me. So I felt like that was more her kind of stretching her legs, getting into that psychopathic manipulation. Go ahead, Jules. She's Fake empathy. shaking in her sheet, her seat, literally. A counterpoint to this, because I was actually thinking about this. This is something Brianna had brought up in the chat earlier, and it's literally been ruminating in my head for like a good hour while I've been thinking about this. 
So we're talking about the difference between when Malcolm interrogates somebody and you can see that he's trying to draw on them and kind of bring out the emotion in them because that's something he's good at. Like we've seen him do that. Like in so many situations, he talks people down because he's able to profile them and figure out what's the thing that's gonna make this person do what I need them to do. And I wonder if part of the reason why we see what Malcolm does as a good thing is because he's more emotional as he does it. He's sort of being a little less like the detectives we normally see on TV who are very like, stone cold and kind of getting what they want he lets the other person see that something is affecting him he sort of will tear up sometimes or he'll do different things to kind of draw people in not consciously maybe it's not a conscious manipulation but he does do it Ainsley though doesn't and she never does even as a reporter she's not an emotional person that way and part of me wonders if it's it's not so much that where that she doesn't have empathy, it's that she doesn't express it the same way that Malcolm does when she's trying to get what she wants. Because they both are very good at getting what they want from subjects. We've talked about how she's a good interviewer in general. And we've talked about how Malcolm is good at profiling. There are two sides of a coin. I don't think she's showing a lack of empathy there. Although I do think this is the, the problem that Brianna and I are always gonna have is that we both see Ainsley the way that we're gonna see Ainsley. So no matter what she actually does, we're like, this is my argument for why. But I just it's not I, true. If they really do give her that moment to like address what she did to Malcolm and really dig into it, I think I, I would be on board. Say, I know, I but you said say, I won't change and I can't. <laughs> <laughs> but I also think it, it's it's part of it's also that we're expecting her to have a more emotional reaction because we as humans expect people to have more emotional reactions in those situations. And I think her ability to just be like, boom, like shut it down. Like these are your children. Do you want to be like that? it doesn't jive with our idea of what this character should be doing in that moment. And so it kind of like triggers those alarm bells and Hey, maybe that was intentional. They might also be trying to fake us out and be like, is she, or isn't she capable of feeling emotion? But I, I didn't read it as her being like a psychopath manipulating someone. I read it as someone like Malcolm, someone who's analytical and smart and knows what the situation requires and doing it just in less of a emotional way than Malcolm usually does. Kennedy. What do you think? <laughs> well, I agree with the, them both having the like analytical mindset or I but I just feel like the reason that it feels different when I was about to say Martin, Malcolm and Ainsley do these things is because I don't think that they've been affected in the same way by Martin's trauma that he heaped upon them. I mean, we've said before that Malcolm you can see that he takes every case personally. He invests himself in these cases because he sees himself trying to, like he's trying to save his younger self in a way, even if it's not, you know, necessarily a child. I think he sees himself in every victim and he kind of takes that and internalizes that. And that's why he gets so invested into these cases. Ainsley, on the other hand, I feel like why it's so hard to believe that she, I don't want to say necessarily that she cares because I mean, like you, you did, like you said, she did go and, you know, report the facts to, um, like, the team when, you know, she didn't, when it wasn't just a personal stake in it. It's just something about the way that I don't think she has, has experienced, like, the same, I don't want to say level of trauma, because, like, obviously she was, we see that she has been affected by Martin's wrongdoings, but I just don't think that she has the same personal investment, I guess you want to say, in saving these people. And that also kind of is why it comes off a little bit different between when she does something and when he does something. 
Well, even taking her, like her and Malcolm out of it and saying like a regular person on the team, like we've seen Gil or JT or Danny like interrogate a suspect before on the show. And they're not typically like, sometimes they'll get angry. They'll kind of do like the good cop, bad cop routine. And like Gil will be like, I'm upset about this or whatever, but they're not walking into the situation to kind of manipulate it in that way. They want an, they have an outcome that they want and they're going in to get it, but they're not like crying the whole time. They're not having like, just because something, somebody's not personally invested in a case. It she even mean feels more detached than them. I can't oh, yeah. really explain. Because she's, she cause just... she's a reporter. Because she's not even like, this is like, she wants to solve the case because she's got that kind of mind. She's like, I want to know who did this and I want to find them. But she's not emotionally invested in it the way that the police are. And that's why she's a reporter and not a cop. Um, she's good at the detached, let's report the facts, let's get the facts. Who cares about the emotion kind of. And I'm not saying that's always a good thing. Because we saw with Jin in season one that the story very much came before this person who she supposedly cared about very much. But I, I can understand why somebody might not be like super emotional in that situation. One could argue that most of Malcolm Bright's confessions are probably completely inadmissible in court because of how he gets them. But I, I digress. Kaylee is now raising her hand probably to stop the madness at once. No, I just want to quickly, because I haven't really added anything. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I at least be- like, shut up, all of you. It <laughs> is my turn. Shut up without telling me to shut up. <laughs> no, no, I just, because I feel like I haven't talked. And I'm like, let me just comment at least on the topic. Brendan so think, think I just left. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to interrupt you guys. I, I'm really torn. Like, I definitely see both sides. I see where Jules is coming from, where it might just be how Ainsley is. Not necessarily, like, she's cold-hearted, but it just may be how she, like, acts because of her job. Like, as a reporter, you're not, you know, when you report stories in the news, they're not very emotional. Some are, but most of them can keep a calm composure and can get through the story because that's their job. But it's hard because at the same time, I see where Brianna and Kennedy are coming from and, and everybody. Um, and everyone else but Jules. I'm trying. I'm like, like I said, I'm really in the I middle. I appreciate you. <laughs> I'm really in the middle. I, I always try to believe in the good in people. And I think if Ainsley had killed again, then okay, I would say that she's more towards Martin. But we she hasn't killed that we know of although again what she did to Malcolm was wrong 100% agree with that that I'm not condoning as we all are not condoning it nobody is let's just get that out there continue to put no one is saying that was good yeah no that like that to me I was like wow that was that was a low blow for sure because we've seen all that Malcolm's done for her and for her to do that to him anyway my thing is I feel like Ainsley if she was like Martin, maybe she would have done more. Like maybe she would have killed again. Or, you know, maybe she would have shown more interest in his murders when she was younger, like Malcolm kind of did, versus, you know, going to him now and being like, am I turning into you? Like, what is going on? Like, I I think she is having like an identity crisis. And, you know, the only other person that's killed in the family is, is Martin. So I think that's why she tried to appeal to him and be like can you help me like I don't almost basically I feel like she's like I don't want to be you but I still want to sort of have a relationship with you I don't know I'm so torn I'm I don't even know I'm just spewing I'm just spewing words <laughs> I think uh, does, does everyone get 10 more seconds to wrap up their argument so that yes. poor Katie doesn't have to edit this argument down later on <laughs> 
Brianna's raising her hand. Go ahead, Brianna. Closing argument for Brianna. Just with the end of the episode, um, I just sort of felt like it's almost like her and Malcolm are kind of slowly switching places. Ainsley's starting to question herself and wonder about her relationship to Martin and kind of want the relationship, even though she knows she shouldn't. And Malcolm is very much in the last couple episodes kind of started to put that distance in place again that we know he had when he was at the FBI and sort of realized like, okay, I don't, I don't need to rely on him for everything. Like I can do my job and function in the world without my father. So if we were to get a season three, I feel like that's sort of where it was headed. Really quick. I just want to like kind of piggyback off of you and then I'm done. I promise. I think because <laughs> a lot of Ainsley's life, they had kept Martin from her. Like she, you know, she's like, you have memories of our dad. I don't really, you know, like mom doesn't have a lot of pictures in the house of him or like they don't tell stories. I mean, for good reason, but I think she just longed for that connection with him, even though, you know, he's a serial killer, but I just think because she had just this like whole sort of for most of her life about like just not having a a father figure, although Malcolm was, you know, a, a protector of sorts, but I think she was more determined just to have that connection with somebody. And I think that's why she took an interest in Martin as well. I hear what you all are saying and logically it makes sense, but I'm not as eloquent as you all. I can't verbalize my feelings as well. (laughs) All I'm saying is I'm picking up some sketch vibes and I don't think that it's (laughs) going away. Exactly. I agree. That's that's all I've got to say. You guys are on like a side. I'm just torn in the middle. I definitely see both sides. See, this is why I can't do anything else like an argument. This is why Kaylee's a good moderator though. Kaylee's a good moderator because she can she can see both sides of an argument. I'm not even going to argue my bit because I feel like I've yelled too much about this in the last few. I did want to recommend, this is why I was like looking at my phone. I wanted to recommend a book that was actually really interesting and kind of like a fascinating, if you're interested in like Ainsley and interested in sociopaths in general, is this book, it's called Confessions of a Sociopath, A Life Spent Hiding in Plain Sight. And it's by an anonymous author. And it's a memoir of somebody who's a diagnosed sociopath and how they see the world. And it's fascinating. Brianna, are you writing this down? Are you writing it down? Good, you should. It's fat. Yeah. I will literally share it with you. It's yeah, like I just saw her pop out a notebook and a pen. I love that. <laughs> I listen to podcasts about psychopathy. Yeah, I want to read a book about sociopathy. And, yeah. it, and it's, it's such a fascinating read because it's in first person. And mm. it's by this person who literally lived, like is living a normal life, but it's how they see things. Wow. And it's it's fascinating it's it was one of the most interesting books i've ever read so if you're interested in how somebody's brain works who who sees the world that way because there's more people than you would think who are just really good at hiding it because they understand what the social conventions are and they can kind of live within them that's true and so yeah leaving that discussion where it is we gotta we we can we can talk for hours we can talk for hours about it but onto a lighter and shorter subject to kind of bridge us into the thing that we're dreading talking about, which is the last four minutes of the episode. Um, we got to see Adresa one last time one before last the time. end of the season, what we hope <laughs> is not the end of the show. Um, and once again, she's coming in clutch. She's got the information that's needed. She comes in there and delivers it. I mean, oh, what did you guys think? Just get us to getting to see Adresa once again. I love that she was really only there for like what max two minutes yeah and everything she did just perfectly encompassed her character she was hilarious in dealing with Gil and Jessica having a steamy moment in the corner she's like oh (laughs) should I leave and then just like drops her information on Capshaw and you know it's like don't question the legality it's fine 
but she killed 11 other people. Here you go. And like presents this binder and then like pieces out. And I just, if that's the last bit we see of her, like, I'm glad that's what it was. I feel like Idrisa is, reminds us of somebody either we know, or that reminds us, reminds us a little bit of ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know, just being quirky and, and weird and the best way. And I don't know. I just, I feel like that's why so many fans love her so much because they remind, she reminds them of just, like I said, either themselves or somebody else. And she just adds so much just light into the show. I think I've said this before, but you know, with such an intense and dark show, I feel like her moments are important that Mm life isn't all just dark you know there are moments of light in it you know there are moments where you can crack a smile and you can laugh and I mean although her little like cameo was short I enjoyed it I mean Idrisa's Idrisa like she's a part of the show like you can't take her out if you didn't have Idrisa in the show like it wouldn't be prodigal son so I always enjoy her I think her just being like awkward also reminds me I guess of myself I'm like do you want me to I can go you, you good okay um yeah here here you go 11 murders yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna go <laughs> so I just love her and uh Keiko does such a wonderful job so hats off to her for sure I was so delighted to see Keiko on the screen one last time because I had been really afraid that she wasn't going to show up she hadn't been in the episodes for like quite a couple since Blaze I think right yeah and so I was just really devastated at the potential like of not seeing her again if the show is potentially ending fingers crossed that it gets picked up and we get to see more of Adresa and the crew but um yeah I just agree with what you said Adresa brings such like a light to the show that's otherwise really, really dark. I mean, yeah. it's a lot of doom and gloom. And I think that seeing her on screen is an important reminder that, you know, even in the darkest of times, there there are good things to be found in life. So I'm just really glad that she made her little two minute cameo before <laughs> the series finale. She's important. Season. 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 Just gonna make that point. Season. <laughs> <laughs> can't make me say series I will never say series finale I didn't even say it in my video I made I said season two finale (laughs) that's my only slip up and it was an accident and I didn't mean it (laughs) at all and now this last bit before we kind of just get into general talking about the show and everything that we love about it uh once again leaving us on a cliffhanger I think it hurt a little bit more knowing that there's the potential that we're never gonna get a resolution to this but Malcolm and Martin because the whole episode they had a really interesting dynamic it was almost like a buddy comedy yeah. like you kind of forgot the stakes a, a few different points where you were kind of like oh this is really funny and then you're like oh wait like this is what's happening and, <laughs> oh, wait, and then there's a murder oh, wait, there's, <laughs> there's a serial killer on the loose right. but then those last few minutes just Ooh. oh my god oh my god there's so much to say so much to talk about brianna's got her hand up what's going on i feel like you can the best part was it when you watch the whole episode because I did rewatch it. It's like you can watch it two ways. You can watch it for the pithy comedy that it is, that it always is whenever Malcolm and Martin get together, because Martin is very much that way. That's his way of kind of making himself seem less threatening for everything. But then if you watch it from the aspect of who's manipulating who and who's playing what psychological game with who, it is such a like mental gymnastics routine to watch them go back and forth. And then at one point, it's like Malcolm's manipulating Martin into doing the killing again, but then it kind of feels like 
Martin is the one who really wants to do this and needs Malcolm to be the one to ask it so that he'll still think he's a good guy. It's just Mm. so much back and forth. And then in those last four minutes, I feel like we watched the walls crumble of like this reality that Martin thought he was going to be able to build and Malcolm kind of let himself suspend reality for a little bit just to save this girl. And then he kind of falls back into, you know, no, you are a psychopath. Like you, you can't sustain this idea of being a perfect human anymore. And it just sort of crumbles. And I loved, I loved watching Michael Sheen act that moment because you can see it on his face the moment he decides he's going to have to kill Malcolm because Malcolm's not conforming to his psychopathic dream. Well, yeah. And that's what we see all the time with like serial killers and people like that when the uh, the subject of their sort of like I don't want to say like inspiration because that's gross but like whenever the their victim is sort of not doing fantasy. what they, their fantasy whatever's lined up whatever's lined up in their head if it's not lining up right then it's, their it's ideal that's it. Mm-hmm. And, and they deviate and Malcolm deviated because for most of the episode he was kind of doing everything that his father would have hoped to do they were solving a case together they were doing he even sort of shared that killing thing with him again because even though he didn't kill the woodsman he came close he kind of like it was like everything was working out exactly the way he wanted it to and then Malcolm made that phone call and like Brianna said you can see the change and it's so good. I, and, oh, Michael Sheen is just such a good actor that like, you just saw it go. And then looking at Malcolm's face, looking at Tom Payne's face, just fall because he knows. And it's, oh, that whole scene was just, it was. But then I was a little alarmed at the ease. Like he could have, I don't know. I felt like he could have, you know, shoved Martin off. Like Martin's what, in his 60s? Like, he's been in prison he, for 20 years. He knows, he ain't he knows what capable of i know but he could have like deflected the stabbing did he really have to grab the arm and just drive that knife right in i don't know she brianna's just like do you live bro come on (laughs) (laughs) he caught up to his to him running and it was huffing and puffing going up that hill i mean (laughs) he was i don't know in the cell for quite a few years i mean a lot of breath that's the the hill that's me going upstairs (laughs) i mean that's the value of the show is is the shock and the twists and turns i just I thought it would come close, but I didn't think he would actually stab him. And the way Malcolm is like, no, there is one other option. Whenever Martin's like, there is no other way. He's like, actually, no. And it just, I don't know. I was, I was shocked. The episode really had me kind of looking at Malcolm in a different light because I mean, oh no, I hate to say it. They almost had me feeling bad for Martin there uh, at a point because Malcolm really did manipulate him in the worst way possible i mean okay do i believe that martin actually was never going to kill someone again no absolutely not but i think that martin truly believed that he felt that way and so to see malcolm push him into hurting the woodsman when i think martin had like really committed to that idea of like i have changed i can move forward with my life and seeing malcolm kind of tear that down and then seeing him, you know, turn him in, which we all knew was going to happen at one point. Martin was deluding himself, thinking that he was not going to call Gil at any point. But you kind of see where he was coming from. And that whole speech about him being a bad son. I mean, if you look at their relationship from Martin's lens, I mean, he's he's kind of having some points in that moment. I mean, Malcolm, for obvious reasons, has cut him off. He's, you know, shut him out when Martin feels like he's trying to help him at multiple times in the past. You know, he's going to him for cases and he kind of just goes to him when it's convenient for him. And even though Martin has had this kind of 
enduring love for his son, even though, you know, everything that they've been through, which I mean, like I said, it's it's a very complicated dynamic. It's just really, you could see things from Martin's perspective in that moment. And I think that really put a new spin on how I'd been watching the show, because obviously you look at it from, you know, Martin's absolutely the bad guy, which he still is. We're not denying that, but you can see why he felt betrayed and enraged in that moment. And like y'all were saying, props to Michael Sheen, because you could see when he made the decision, like, Mm -hmm. like on his face, you could tell when Martin decided this is not going to fly. I, this is what I've got to do. But, um, I just, I would just like to say that I predicted that he would stab him. I was not, there was, there was no doubt in my mind that was going to happen. Even though the promos like to fake us out. I was like, no, this is the cliffhanger. It was just, it was a really well executed scene. I mean, obviously all of the actors and actresses have great chemistry with one another at any given time, but especially those two. And it'll be interesting seeing what happens potentially moving forward from that point. I agree with what you guys have said so far. I was really surprised at Malcolm's manipulation of Martin, like you said, Kennedy, because it almost reminded me a little bit of Ainsley. I, I know, I know, I know we capped it, but that to me, well, well, just saying like he had to push him to get what he wanted and almost had like he did appeal to Martin's emotions, but I don't think Malcolm was feeling emotions. Maybe I don't know. But I was really surprised that Malcolm had appealed to that. being like, dad, like, I need you to do this for me. That to me, I was like, oh, this is not good. That was really underhanded of him. Like, yeah. I, I agree. That I was, like was kind of a low vibes. Low. Yeah, it, it was kind of low for him. Although, again, in the end, they did save the girl. And, you know, the woodsman is no longer going to hurt people. But at the same time, it, yeah, I just, I was really surprised at Malcolm. One thing that you guys also mentioned was Michael Sheen. Hats hats off to him. I mean, bowing down the king. You, I love seeing the wheels turn in an actor's eyes when their character makes a choice. Like, how they actually do that blows my mind. But it's so powerful because you're like, oh, no. Literally, in my video, I was like, uh-oh, because his eyes changed, and I was like, oh, no, <laughs> but I just thought it was interesting, because what you guys were saying was that Malcolm was not conforming to this ideal life, this ideal plan that Martin had, so then when that all crumbled, he's like, okay, now plan B, I'm just going to kill you, because you're not doing what I want, which is crazy to me, because he just saved Malcolm, I'm so conflicted, but all in all, I feel like it was a really good scene, I thought both actors played it beautifully. It really surprised me that he was actually going to stab him. I thought maybe he was going to knock the knife out of his hand, but I don't, I think Malcolm knew in his mind that Martin wasn't going to stop trying to hurt him. So he had to just kind of end it there. I also want to shout out the writing team because they had Martin talk through the moment almost Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. he changed, you know, as that reality crumbled and he decided he was going to kill Malcolm. It wasn't just like a split second thing and we don't know why. He really started to, you saw the narcissism come back of, I'm the victim, you're the bad son, you have always been this way to me, and that manipulation of turning it, and this is why he's now justifying it out loud as he's making the action, and I know camera work is usually Kaylee's thing, but it's okay. the the high-low of that moment of Malcolm being below Martin, and those Mm -hmm. wide shots of the, the level difference, and then Martin having to come down to Malcolm's level, 
everything. And then face off was just, oh, that whole scene was just beautiful. I, every shot to me has a purpose. And I agree with you. Like, I feel like every shot has like an, almost like an ulterior motive of its own. Because then it when- It tells the story. Exactly. Because then when Malcolm stabbed Martin, Martin was now on his knees looking up to Malcolm. Mm-hmm. So, and that, at that high angle, you know. So I'm just saying, I w- so I agree with you. I definitely think it's almost, it almost felt like Martin was passing the baton to Malcolm is like, I knew you were like me and I knew I would push you. So now I just thought of it. Do you think that Martin wanted that all along? He wanted him to kill him or, or stab him so that he could finally in his mind be ideal. Like I finally made my son who I wanted him to be. Woo. Okay, let's go. <laughs> we're all going to have a turn because literally everyone raised their hand. Sorry, I, y'all. I, I have two bits to this. I have two bits to this. One, I don't think ultimately he wanted his son to kill him. The only okay. Because he had built this fantasy in his mind of the two of them being together and him somehow never killing again and being with his son. In that, so in that moment, in that moment, I don't think he wanted that to happen. What I'm interested in, though, is when Malcolm realized that this was going to happen, because I think he did. And I think he realized it when he asked his father to kill the woodsman or to injure him. Mm-hmm. Tom Payne's acting completely changed it the did. whole back half of that. It was resigned. It almost felt like there was an acceptance there. And I didn't understand while watching it what that why there was that change. I think he knew that it was going to happen. I think once he he was mourning the loss of this fantasy as much as Martin was, because in this fantasy they could be together and his father would never kill again and they could just you know have a normal life and just be like this crime solving duo. But he knew it was over and he knew the second he asked his father to do that there was going to be no going back. So I I don't think Martin wanted his son to kill him in that in that moment. I think there have been times that he has. I don't think in that moment he did. But I'll, I'll let everyone else yell now because everyone's everyone's like ready to go. Really quick. Really quick. I'm so sorry. Because if I don't say it, I'll mess <laughs> it. When Malcolm walked out of the cabin, or I'm sorry, when he was like on the outside of the cabin, he lifted up his hand and it wasn't shaking. So was that that moment of realization? Like this is who my father is and that I can't change that. And I think that's that acceptance part you were talking about, Jules, because I don't think it was shaking. Did anybody else see it? Like it wasn't. I, don't, I, no, think that, wasn't. I mean, it was clear as day. He followed it up and everything. Like, yeah. So I think that was that moment. Like I have to do what I have to do to save people. And this is who my father is always going to be. You're right to that. I want to say <laughs> because they have Ainsley make a reference to chess as well of like, they're both running out of moves. And I think it was sort of played out in that last bit. Like you were saying, Joel's kind of like a chess game and Malcolm was already at the end of the board, realizing there were only two options that were going to happen. And it sort of felt like Martin was going to win no matter what, because either he would succeed and kill Malcolm Mm -hmm. and he wins or Malcolm turns around and kills him and his son becomes like him and he wins. I agree. So I don't know. It just sort of felt like in this moment, Martin got the last word, which is upsetting because we've spent two seasons watching Malcolm fight against that and to not become that. So I was with Danny when she was like, what did you do? But I don't think he's his father. And this is, I'll stand by this. We talk about defending like villains or whatever, but that absolutely was not. And as much as Martin wants Malcolm to think that because of this, he's now like him. I don't think he is because he wouldn't have done that if he wasn't provoked. He wasn't doing it from a sense of rage. I just mean, no, I know. I just, I, 
I feel badly for Malcolm because Malcolm always internalizes this crap that his father Mm -hmm. tells him and him hearing that from his father, his father's potentially dying breath going, you're just like me. Like, no, he's not just like you at all. That was a self-defense move that don't even try to like twist this around and make it like, don't twist the knife. (laughs) Don't twist that knife around. Like just, I I, I hated when they did. I, I know it works as a cliffhanger. Because if this, if there had been a season three, we would have been able to explain this emotionally. But I just want someone to tell Malcolm that he's not like his father, and he won't ever be like his father. And oh, like I, I hate that we left him on this shattered note that he's he's now internalizing all of this awful stuff. I don't know. Kennedy's got her pinky, her finger in the air. She's fine. I mean. You know this is going to have like psychological ramifications on Malcolm. I mean, Absolutely. honestly, it's a miracle that boy hasn't snapped this season. I mean, let's be real. For last season, he's gone through a lot. I <laughs> mean, season. but um, I I agree with what y'all said. I Tom Payne's acting kind of just really changed the back half. He like like Joel said, he felt really resigned and. I can't help but think he knew that Martin was going to go after him like that. Like it was inevitable because he didn't hesitate when, you know, when he had to counter that move, it didn't feel like there was like, Oh my God, what's happening. It almost felt like this, this is it. I don't know. It's, it's just a really difficult thing to unpack. I, I'm interested to see where this will hopefully go in the future, but something I just wanted to quickly mention is Martin's, smile when he's like literally bleeding to death i that that really creeped me out it it, it was very scary and I, you just have to marvel once again at michael sheen's acting abilities he's he's amazing but i don't know i don't i can't really decide if that was martin you know just trying to get the last word obviously i don't think that he i think he would have preferred to live if if he does die but if he really felt that way or if he was just trying to get malcolm back about um martin saying like oh you're just like me if malcolm had stabbed or continued to stab martin like ainsley did with endicott then i would have been like okay i'm a little worried but it was a one and done he didn't he didn't do overkill so that's where i just the one stab it was just the one (laughs) he was one and done like because he was so just surprised probably by his own actions and you know he doesn't want to kill his father like I, I mean, I wouldn't blame Malcolm for continuing to stab him. Like, this is for all the 23 victims and everything you did to me my whole life. Like, I, I'd be, I'd be honest. I wouldn't blame him for that, but he didn't. Like, that's, that's where I think he differs a little bit from Ainsley is that he didn't do overkill. He did. Yeah. It was one and done. And you know what I'm saying? Like he was physically and mentally just, I want to say destroyed in that moment. I mean, he was, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the difference there with that is the ability to feel emotion. <laughs> he was upset. I, I thought we put nothing, and I just get period on that sentence. Went ballistic. That's yeah. like you were saying, which Malcolm did not because he felt defeated and upset, and it was just the one, and then he was done. Whereas Ainsley just kept right on going. But I wonder. Like, if I knew by the look on Brianna's face. I know, I, but I wonder <laughs> she, if, she made, if she's about to say everyone. Something. Everyone reacts differently to danger, you know. Mm-hmm. But again, I agree. The overkill was was a little overkill. overkill. <laughs> you so know, it was a little much. So, but I don't know. Maybe she just her defense mechanism is just to 
keep stabbing until you can't stab anymore. I don't know. There's mm. no more blood left. I don't know. I, mm, <laughs> Unless we get a I season know, three, I'm gonna I'm gonna just say that Martin lived because I don't like the idea of now three of the Whitleys being murderers. So I don't think even if they continued, I don't think they would kill him off. I mean, Jules has said that they could do flashbacks, but I don't see the show being the same, be the same without Martin's should we, should influence. Should we go like, into and I think so. Are we ready Send to go it. into Theory's Corner? Let's go into Theory's Corner. Okay, Theory's Corner. So what you just said about him coming back, we've been getting all kinds of interviews in the last few days because of the fact that the show is ending and then also because of the fact that it was kind of a series ending thing. So a lot of outlets kind of started asking what would have been your plans for a season three? And one of the main things that they've said repeatedly is that they plan to bring back the entire main cast and that that included um, Michael Sheen, that it was going to be everybody. I know everyone just saw me really struggle to pick which M name was going to come out of my mouth for the last time this season, everybody. And so that included everybody. Everybody was going to come back. So, I mean, my thinking would be that he would definitely live because you can't, it was a lot of blood. I, I think it would be touch and go, but I do think he would live because I don't think you can have this show without that dynamic. Yeah. somehow and i don't think it would be the same just to have flashbacks or to have him like talking to his father or like as a ghost or whatever like i i don't know i don't know you're going back because that's not what you said before <laughs> right. i didn't read the before. interview before i didn't read the interview with the showrunners before because but today they were literally like oh yeah no like we would have brought everybody like we want to bring everybody back so before hallucination here's the thing if they bring everybody back i don't see how i mean obviously it would have to happen but that relationship between malcolm and martin would be broken because his son just tried to kill him and i don't see i could see kind of martin accepting it as like oh you took on the mantle kind of thing but i don't see malcolm reaching out like that's going to be psychologically damning for a while for him so i don't know how they would go forward with that which is why i want to see a third season because i want to (laughs) see I mean, we know what it would do to the character, but I want to see how he handles it and how they write it and how... How, how would Malcolm it. handle it? Not how well. Would Jessica handle um, it? <laughs> Short answer, not well. <laughs> I want to see Ainsley run around that corner and see the father she's starting to get to know lying on the ground bleeding and Malcolm, the one with the knife. Like, I don't know. I just, there was so much there. I just want to throw in real quick. I feel like a way that they could possibly still have them be in contact because I mean, like, obviously it's not going to be, be the same after what happened between them two. But I mean, Friar Pete did kill people. And I don't know if Hector killed anyone when they escaped and Martin was still technically part of that jailbreak plan. So I feel like there could be some kind of like trial or like deposition where after, you know, not speaking, they would have to come in contact with one another. Malcolm like testifying as part of the police on the case or something. I just think that's one way they could bring him back without killing him off. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if he's the most <laughs> reliable witness, but... um, The things I want to see for season three, should it happen, when it happens. I want to see more Gillica. I want to see more Brightwell. <laughs> because last episode, we saw Brightwell for like a minute. We got no Brightwell this time, and I'm <laughs> very mad about it. Back. <laughs> I had for, to- for some context, Brianna just had to take a second to sneeze, and we saw her whip no, up so I fast. swallowed wrong. <laughs> I tried to swallow some of my ginger ale and it did not go right. Brianna was actively trying not to choke to death and she heard Brightwell and just absolutely (laughs) ran. (laughs) 
I definitely want to I see don't, those ships sail. Sail it, into the sunset forever. I think it felt intentional having the very last shot we have. Danny, Danny yes. and Malcolm. Oh. Like, oh. it felt... It felt important. And, how you, how uh, do you think that relationship's going to change now that Malcolm actually did sort of commit murder? But it was in self-defense. I'm so conflicted. I think she'll so excuse conflicted. it as far as self-defense goes. I mean, he literally ran at him with a knife. What Yeah. What else are you going to do? He didn't know they were coming. Like, in his right. mind, it was just him and Martin in the woods. He had no idea when the cops were going to show up. He didn't give them any landmarks as to how to find them. That's true. So, I mean, it was really kill or be killed. I just, Danny has been doubting him the past couple of episodes. I was scared that they were, that Major Crime was going to believe that Malcolm had kind of gone off Mm -hmm. the deep end with his dad, but they like, right from the jump, they were like, that's not possible. So that kind of made me feel better. But I still, I feel like she's been in this place of doubting him for the past, I don't know how many episodes that even if like realistically, she knows that this was like, a do or die situation I think that it's going to change her perception of him because I feel like she's kind of been watching him teeter on this ledge and that in her mind that would kind of be him you know going off deep end proverbially if we're gonna have a bright wall conversation <laughs> I would argue that she's not suspicious of him I think she read him correctly early on because she could tell he was hiding something and not telling her something. And so he put a wall up and she put a wall up and it wasn't so much as him as her seeing him start to go off the deep end and thinking maybe he is turning a corner more so of like, he's hiding something from her and she's not willing to open up all the way if he's not going to also. So that would be again, a great dynamic to explore in a third season. Some more things I want to see. I'm curious to see Ainsley's reaction to all of this would she kill again in season three that would be crazy oh jessica's book what the heck that just like fell off the face I know, of the that earth. table yeah so i want to see her book i want to like read it if it's possible um <laughs> i want to know the title what would she call her book? i know that i want so badly and i guess i wonder if the endicott thing ever comes back like does malcolm and ainsley ever tell the truth about their involvement with endicott because that also sort of got tabled like do you think he would mention it to danny at all so i don't know i'm i'm just i feel like they did end it well although it was a cliffhanger obviously but like some things got resolved but other things it almost like gives you more questions i feel like the endicott thing has got to come back up at some point the way that arc was resolved was so incomplete and so unbelievable (laughs) like I feel like Hoxley was kind of like oh you saved my life so I still think there's something shady going on here but I'm benefiting (laughs) from this situation so I'm just gonna leave but I mean like there were so many questions that he didn't even ask like how did Malcolm know to show up at the boat or marina or whatever where he was at like there's just so many red flags that still stand out for me and I feel like Gil, Gil at least has to know that something else was still going on. I think if anything needs to be brought back up, that's going to come out at some point. Like it has to. That that arc resolution just doesn't sit right with me. I'm still a little salty about. I think them. they did it on purpose. I'm still salty. They did not give us this just grandiose explanation. 
I was expecting like a whole episode just dedicated to like a flashback of Malcolm like disposing of the body and all that. Like we got like a two minutes. So I will always be salty, but hopefully in season three, make it redeem. <laughs> because we dedicated so much time to speculating about how he got <laughs> the body know, there. That's why I'm a little hurt. <laughs> just like, he did this. All right, moving on. No, literally I think they left it open because it will come up again because Malcolm is very much bleeding hard on the sleeve type of person. I don't think he could be in a like deep committed relationship with Danny in the long run without her knowing about that Mm -hmm. because she was so close to it anyway. And I mean, for me, that would be like a season five confession or something. Like it would take him a while to get to that point and for them to get to that point as a couple, if they were to become a couple to even delve that deeply into it. Mm -hmm. I also think that would be a great opportunity to bring Alan Cumming back because he was hilarious. And now for the last time this season, we have a little segment that I like to call the Malcolm Danger Count. Warning. Warning. Malcolm Danger. Where we go over the many, many bad decisions made by our favorite profiler, Mr. Malcolm Bright. Um, and this is going to be a good one because it's the season ender. So we get the final total. We finally know how many in total. As of this episode right now, it's 37. We are at 37 uh-huh. for the danger count, which is actually pretty close to like when we were revising our guesses for later in the season, we kind of came to around like 40. I think the, I think that I was like the final estimate. At first. I mean, Kaylee was way off. <laughs> Kennedy would like to pop in real quick. <laughs> Look, I just want to say that Kaylee was like, <laughs> they're, they're going to be under, I was like, there's going to be like around 30. And she's I know. like, no, that's way too high. I was right. I, I gave him too much credit. I was right. Kaylee gave that, that is all. way too much credit. And then I said 50, um, and I'm still <laughs> off. <laughs> oh, just, <laughs> so much under and overestimation going on of Malcolm. Um, but this episode, so this episode, we have our final counts. We have four which brings the full total to 41 for the season. Holy wow. crap. For 13 Holy episodes. Mackerel. Imagine for 13 episodes for an season. incomplete season. Oh my God. He managed to get this far. So in no particular order, here we go. The first one is the moment where he's tied up in the hotel with Martin. Martin's not going to hurt him. He doesn't know that. Um, he so had him with like a little... He like, had him with a knife. We don't yeah. really know. It, it, so we're going to count that as him definitely being in danger. Uh, the second one, which is entirely his own fault, and it was like he was in a horror movie, getting out of the car. Never get out of. And he car. heard his father hit the deck. He heard that thud. He should have just left thinking, him. <laughs> left him. He, you know, he's sitting there thinking, "Oh, like I got to go help my." No, just because it turned out to not be the serial killer doesn't mean that there wasn't a possibility that it could have been the serial killer. So that's definitely a all their problems. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> so much um <laughs> getting actually captured by the serial killer that's that's number three so the first one was a fake out the third one yeah yeah he Not really malcolm did was pretty good oh, it, was, it was a good one like used the good rope one. to like hoist himself up and then just <laughs> kicked him right in the chest knocked him down he, he gave it he gave it his best shot um and then the last one which is you know walking going after martin in the end because he could have just let him go and he didn't and it was both of their downfalls so that is it that is our last danger count. 41 i just i'm 41. just surprised at how high it is it's remarkable really especially with the, the season being as short as it is but i just 
you know what, Malcolm, you tried. I mean, I really can't even say you tried, but <laughs> occasionally learned. Occasionally attempts were made. Yeah. Attempts were occasionally wait made. for backup. So maybe like next season, if you know, when that <laughs> happens, we'll just, we'll just wait for backup. Me. Right. Just wait for backup. Oh yeah. Give him a gun too. That would be nice. <laughs> Well, that, that would have to, that would mean that he would have to be like an official cop. And something tells me after the events of this finale that I don't yeah, think. Yeah, probably not. I don't like, think he's going to be joining hard pass. NYPD. Hard pass. But if you guys liked what we said, if we missed a moment, let us know. Mm-hmm. Uh, tag us at call for backup pod. That's called the number four backup pod. We got some cool stuff coming up. So don't forget to check yes. that out. As a party note for our podcast, we'll be ending every episode with a motivational affirmation or quote that hopefully inspires you as you start your weekend. This week's quote is, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. James Baldwin. All right, that's our show for this week. While we wait for final news about season three, we're bringing back our Nerds Rewatch Prodigal live tweets and articles for Season 2. Be sure to follow us on Twitter for further details about how you can join in on the fun at Call for Backup Pod. That's call for number four, Backup Pod. Tag us and let us know your thoughts on the episode. And as always, follow us at Nerds and Beyond for all of your nerdy news. See you soon, prodigies. Before we wrap things up, we did just want to say in case this is the series finale, we wanted to talk a little bit about what the show has meant to us, um, what we're going to take away from having watched Prodigal Son now for two seasons. Um, everyone on the Zoom call is getting emotional, so I'm going to go first. <laughs> I think the biggest thing that I take away from the show, there's two. One, it was really the first time I'd seen mental health portrayed in the way that it has been on television. We see Malcolm take his meds, and it's a normal part of his routine. It's not something that anyone looks down on. In fact, everyone's mostly encouraging him to take his meds. There's never a point where anyone's like, oh, you're probably better if you don't have them. You know, it's just something that's always a part of him. And it's not seen as a bad thing. It's just seen as a part of who Malcolm is. And that was really impactful for me. But then I have to say, a lot of it was getting to hang out with my friends. Because this show has been given us the opportunity to do so much, both for nerds and outside of it, where we've done rewatches, we've done this podcast. I've gotten to see people on a weekly basis that I wouldn't have gotten to see otherwise. Oh God, I've started the waterworks. <laughs> Gosh dang it, Jules. <laughs> but truly, and, and and not even just within nerds, but the prodigies as a whole, it's a really unique little community. And I think we're seeing that now with so much of the Save Prodigal Son stuff. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to miss this show. I'm going to miss if we don't have, and the fundraiser as well. Brianna's reminding me that they're doing a fundraiser right now um, for the organization to write love on her arms, which is in honor of mental health and in honor of Malcolm. If you want to donate to that, we have links all over our, um, podcast on Twitter, but yeah, it's just, it's a unique environment. It's a unique group of people. And I'm really going to miss kind of talking about the show and squeeing about it with you guys week to week. Kaylee's got her hand raised and we're already crying. We're starting if I can't well. even get through it. Oh my God. Oh, okay. I might have to like do it in parts because I don't know if I can get through it. It's <laughs> okay. Um, oh God, I didn't think I was going to be this emotional. (laughs) Ooh, okay. Oh God, that's great to be on the podcast, just me sniffling. I think the mental health is a big thing for me. Um, just because 
<laughs> I struggle with it too. Oh my gosh. See, I told you I was going to cry. <laughs> you got this. Um, and I think just, I, yeah, with being with you guys every week and everybody listening and just everything that we've got to do together and um, just to the cast too, like yeah. they have been so interactive with the fans and it's like mourning somebody. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, okay, I gotta stop because I can't talk. <laughs> but you can say, I mean, the show means something to people, though, and that's yeah. you know, I, I I would hope that the creators of the show know that right. that that it means a lot to people. But you know, it's it's something it does to matter. Out there. You know? it does matter. Like we were saying before, and that's why we put you know inspirational quotes at the end of this podcast is because you know so much of life can be so hard, but you know just always trying to find the light. And a you know in a tough day it, it means a lot to a lot of people so yeah I think for me it it was such a it's such a different show than anything that's on and so much of it is rooted in the mental health aspect because mostly on tv you see oh my god I'm gonna get emotional um mostly on tv you see mentally ill people are the problem and here he yes. is very much the solution to everything he is the one helping drive catch the killers and save people even not in spite of but working with his own mental illness to do that and it's such a normal part of his day like you said that it's it's kind of destigmatizing and it's it's really grounding and it has been a really grounding show for me especially during covid to have this podcast every week and we did a rewatch last summer when you know it felt like the world was ending a little bit with everything going into lockdown and I had this to look forward to every single week and I had my friends online. I've made so many friends online from it. Um, so yeah, I think those are my my two big ones is just to see, like you said, his. that's why we do the inspirational quotes because Malcolm has his inspirational cards and it's not, it never feels hokey and it never feels like that's the butt of the joke. They don't, they don't do that on this show. We're exactly, not the joke. Yeah. I don't want to be the person that's like what everyone else said, but I mean, <laughs> okay, we're all kind of. Okay. You guys totally covered it. I mean, I think the fact that all of us kind of have the same running commentary just kind of shows you how how deeply that this show has kind of affected everyone. Um, on the mental health front, I mean, I think that it's amazing that they have done such good work. Like like you all said, mm-hmm. with destigmatization, you know, Malcolm is not shown as the problem, his trauma doesn't define who he is as a person. He can still move forward and, you know, there's still joy to be found in his life, even though there are a lot of dark moments. I mean, he's obviously dealing with some some very dark things in his life, but he never gives up. He, he always tries to keep moving forward. He always tries to keep benefiting the world in, in a positive way. And I think that's, that's a strong message that the show has um, sought to imbued throughout throughout its run and also the community aspect like Brianna said I mean we started this rewatch during COVID mm-hmm. I mean even though the show kind of was like COVID doesn't exist anymore which would be great to have <laughs> in the real world um it was just really great getting to you know get on and socialize with people and just talk about something that we all love so much that we are all able to derive so much joy out of it so I'm just thankful for the people the experiences that I've gotten out of uh watching the show the last thing I want to say I've contained myself mostly 
<laughs> I think it's a true testament to how strong somebody can be that struggles with mental health because we've mm-hmm. seen Malcolm get knocked down over and over and over again and deal with his trauma and deal with all the effects of anxiety and depression and PTSD. But I think it shows people that really struggle that you can move forward, you know, keep moving forward. You can, and I literally have that tattooed on my arm. Like that is my, like not joking. Um, Because it's true. Like whatever knocks you down in life, you just have to keep moving forward and you can't, you know, it does get better. You know, I just, that's, I guess that's why I got so emotional a couple minutes ago, just because, you know, it's life is hard and we all need an outlet for something. And I think this is an outlet for a lot of people to make connections and that's what life's about, you know, making connections and living life to the fullest and just taking every day the best you can. I just wanted to do a final um, from all of us, I'm sure, just a thank you to the cast and the crew and the writers for Mm -hmm. taking us on the journey, but also to putting mental health so close to the front and for Tom Mm -hmm. to always acting Malcolm the way he does. And it's, it's always, it feels like an inherent part of his character. And we see the mental struggle with Jessica too, in Bellamy's portrayal and even for Ainsley with Houston. It's just, it was a collective effort that really touched a lot of lives, I think. And even if it only does get two seasons, just everything that the the actors and the cast and crew did was really special. Dr. Tim as well. Dr. Tim. Yes, Dr. Tim. Yes, Dr. Tim. <laughs> oh my gosh. And Do- if Dr. Music. Tim is listening. Nathaniel Bloom. Nathaniel Bloom. Yes. Yeah. I mean, just just everyone involved in this show. I think I think I speak for all of us when I say thank you for giving us this show for for however long we get it whether this is the end of the ride or just the beginning of the ride, I think it's been a wonderful time. And we also want to thank you guys as well for listening because we we were going to make this podcast whether Regardless. we were the only four people listening to it or <laughs> whether we were the only know. ones that played. But every time we've seen every week, people who respond to us every week, people who are listening, it, it's just amazing that anyone takes any of what we say seriously, but it's so gratifying that you have thank you for joining us uh it's been it's been an absolute pleasure and i hope that this isn't the last time i hope that we are coming back for a season three of this podcast as well as this show